I'm recording this podcast on October 31st, 2022. And you know what special day October 31st is, right? No, not Halloween. I love Halloween, and that is a special day, but I have a very different day in mind. Loved ones, what's going on? I'm Bruce, and this is A Bigger Story. So in addition to Halloween, October 31st is Reformation Day. Ever heard of Reformation Day? On October 31st, 1517, the German monk Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses, 95 propositions, like one would be a thesis, 95 is our theses. He nailed them to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, where he lived and worked as a professor of theology. Eric Grich is a Luther scholar, and he writes about that moment a lot better than I ever could. So here's what he wrote about that. Sometime during October 31st, 1517, the day before the Feast of All Saints, the 33-year-old Martin Luther posted theses on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg. The door functioned as a bulletin board for various announcements related to academic and church affairs. The theses were written in Latin and printed on a folio sheet by the printer John Groenenberg, one of the many entrepreneurs in the new print medium, first used in Germany in about 1450. Luther was calling for a disputation on the power and efficacy of indulgences out of love and zeal for truth and the desire to bring it to light, as Luther himself put it. He did so as a faithful monk and priest who had been appointed professor of biblical theology at the University of Wittenberg, a small, virtually unknown institution in a small town. Some copies of these 95 theses were sent to friends and church officials, but the disputation that Luther wanted never took place. Albert of Brandenburg, Archbishop of Mainz, sent these theses to some theologians whose judgment moved him to send a copy to Rome and demand action against Luther. By the early months of 1518, the theses had been reprinted in many cities, and Luther's name had become associated with demands for radical change in the church. He had become front-page news. That was Luther scholar Eric Rich. There were others putting forth similar ideas prior to Luther, like Jan Hus and John Wycliffe. Luther was by far not the only one proposing radical new ideas to reform the church. But Luther making front-page news that day is a way of saying that Luther's posting of those 95 theses was the spark that ignited the Protestant Reformation, the movement that swept across 16th century Europe and led to the emergence of Protestantism. But the so-called Great Reformation was not the first split in Christianity. From the very beginning, literally from the time immediately following the crucifixion of Jesus, his followers argued, disputed, debated, and frequently parted company, going off on their own tracks of belief. And really, the argument started even before that. The disciples of Jesus argued with one another. They argued with Jesus. One of them, Judas, went totally rogue. You could read the book of the Acts of the Apostles, and the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Barnabas have a sharp disagreement about another guy in their company named John Mark, and it was an intense enough disagreement that they decided to go their separate ways. Paul was the traveling apostle. His mission was to the Gentiles, non-Jewish people who became Christians. Meanwhile, the apostles keeping the home base back in Jerusalem were more oriented toward the Jewish Christians, and the apostles in Jerusalem still expected that followers of Jesus would continue with the Jewish rituals that they had always followed and that any new followers of Jesus, including Gentiles, would participate in traditional Jewish ritual life. 
You could imagine that adult male Gentiles were not interested in the ritual of circumcision. It was a huge dispute and documented in the New Testament book of Acts, and Paul would get called back to the home office in Jerusalem where he had intense debates with the apostles there. They'd argue, and then Paul would go back off on the road and do what he was going to do anyway. All across the first centuries of Christianity, different communities emerged, and surprise, surprise, their beliefs and practices and rituals varied. And yet, Christianity continued to spread. Sometime in the second century, Christian philosophers, theologians, thinkers, sometimes they were bishops, but not always, began to develop canons. Canon is a Semitic word that literally means rod. It was a straight rod or bar used for measurement. It was a standard, a rule. It's where you get ruler from. Eventually, there were lists, canons, of what books of sacred writings were standard that belonged in the Bible, in the canon of the Bible. And do you think there was full agreement on that? Mm -mm. To this day, Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox and Protestants include or exclude books in different ways. Even among so-called Protestants, there isn't consistency about what is and what isn't considered to be in the canon of sacred scripture. So keep going forward. Fourth and fifth centuries, there were a series of what were called ecumenical councils where Christians from all over the known world gathered to debate and come to agreement on basic beliefs and doctrine and dogma. In 325 AD, the Council of Nicaea led to the Nicene Creed, a basic statement of beliefs. 100 years after the Council of Nicaea, the Council of Chalcedon reached some basic agreement on the precise nature of the Trinity and how the divinity and humanity of Jesus Christ was to be understood. Why? Because different Christians in different places believed different things about that stuff. And it was right around 315 AD that the Emperor Constantine, the Roman Emperor, issued the Edict of Milan that made it legal for Christians to be Christians and not persecuted anymore. And so began this crossfade to Christianity becoming the religious coin of the realm. And once that happens, Roman emperors want everyone believing the same things because it's easier to rule a vast territory and keep peace if everyone believes approximately the same things, especially about religion, because you know how people can fight about that. So now fast forward to July 16th, 1054. What happened on that day? Glad you asked. The Patriarch of Constantinople, modern-day Istanbul, his name was Michael Cerularius, was excommunicated from the church based in Rome because the Patriarch of Rome, the Pope, considered himself the chief of all patriarchs, the Supreme Pontiff, and he excommunicated the Patriarch of Constantinople, Michael Cerularius, because Cerularius was advancing ideas and doctrine and dogma that was different than what the Pope wanted promulgated. So he excommunicates the Patriarch of Constantinople, and that was the last straw for the Eastern Byzantine churches who saw their patriarch, the Patriarch of Constantinople, as their primate. And so the churches split. The Roman Catholic Church in the West, the Eastern Orthodox Church in the East, that split is called the Great Schism, and it exists to this day. A little bit more on why the excommunication. The reasons were partly political, as they always are with religion. And where there's politics involved, there's also money involved, and there were even some theological disagreements too. One over a sentence in the Nicene Creed over the precise nature of how the Holy Spirit is related to the Father and the Son, yada, yada, yada. And another argument about whether unleavened bread or leavened bread should be used 
for the sacrament of communion because you definitely want to split over what kind of bread to use. And also, they differed over whether or not priests should remain celibate. So when Michael Cerularius, the Patriarch of Constantinople, was excommunicated by the Pope in Rome, what did he do? He excommunicated the Pope in Rome, Pope Leo, and he excommunicated the entire Roman Church with him. So let's all stop here and sing Kumbaya. Okay, now let's fast forward another 500 years from the Great Schism, and you've got Martin Luther and John Calvin and scores of others, and we've gone from the Great Schism to the Great Reformation. And how did Eric Gritsch put it? Luther's name had become associated with demands for radical change in the church. He had become front-page news. So eventually, Luther was excommunicated too. All the Protestant churches, all the different Protestant denominations around today, in some way, owe their existence to that great Reformation. Although some, like some Baptists, claim they were around much earlier than the Reformation, but we're not going to quibble about that. And there are many different Eastern churches, some interconnected through the large umbrella of Eastern Orthodoxy and some separate doing their own thing. An interesting story from those first Reformed churches that emerged from the Great Reformation. The Reformed churches were different than the Lutheran churches. The Lutheran churches followed Luther and his descendants, and the Reformed churches were more in line with John Calvin's beliefs than they were with Luther's. So there's a Reformed church minister back then in the Netherlands named Jodicus van Lodenstein, and he coined a phrase. This is about 1614, let's say. He coined a phrase in Latin, semper reformanda. It means always reforming. Apparently, he was arguing with some other Reformed church colleagues and contending that they shouldn't call themselves the Reformed church, but instead they should call themselves the reforming church. Reforming, not reformed, because the work of reforming is ongoing. It's not done. The church is not reformed. It's reforming. Semper reformanda. Always reforming. I think that message got lost for a while. Most, not all, but I'm willing to say most, churches, most denominations tend to function more as a preservation society than as agents of radical change. Certainly, they don't function to the point of radical change that makes front-page news. Every once in a while, there are front-page changes when a church, a denomination, or even a local congregation on its own chooses to ordain women when previously they hadn't, or chooses to fully welcome LGBTQ plus people, fully welcome, which isn't a full welcome until an LGBTQ plus person can participate and serve in all levels of church leadership including as a minister, a priest, a bishop. So sometimes that happens. But generally, how many church people does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer? Change? That massive pipe organ? Those particular hymns and that particular hymnal? That version of the Bible? That order of worship and the words that are said in a worship service? Better not mess with any of that or you've got a knife fight on your hands, my friends. Resistance to change tends to render churches less and less relevant to the rest of the world. The very world that they envision they're somehow supposed to reach and to serve. And statistics and studies bear this out. Phyllis Tickle was an author and keen observer of the overarching trends in Christianity and churches. 
she observed that Christianity makes a fundamental radical shift about every 500 years like clockwork. Let's say you've got Jesus showing up around the year zero, and he's around until about 30 or 33 AD. 500 years from that, fall of the Roman Empire. And there's a power vacuum in Rome. Who fills it? The church. So 500 years after Jesus, with the fall of the Roman Empire, the church is now both the spiritual and secular authority. They're front and center, with the old Roman Empire becoming the holy Roman Empire, because now it's in the hands of the church. So that's about 500 years after Jesus. 500 years from that, the Great Schism we talked about, when the Roman Church of the West and the Orthodox Church of the East split and excommunicated each other, which was a big deal. So now fast forward 500 years from the Great Reformation, which was about 1515 to 1545. Let's say that 1522 is somewhere in the middle of all that. So fast forward 500 years from that, and what would you have? You would have now. And if Phyllis Tickle was right when she wrote that every 500 years, the church has a massive shift, a giant rummage sale, when it moves out a lot of old stuff and emerges as something radically new and different, that should be happening right about now. What a time to be alive, right? And if Christianity is always reforming Semper Reformanda as it should be, then it's on schedule for a radical shift to make front page news a massive rummage sale about now. So if that's supposed to happen right about now, I have questions. Here are some of them. What changes do you think Christianity needs? What radical changes do you think Christianity needs? Who and what do you think is holding back the necessary changes? Do you even care? If the changes were radical enough, momentous enough to make front page news, in other words, to get your attention, would that make a difference to you? How would that feel to you? What would it look like for you? What would those changes look like? I ask those questions because it's really the whole purpose of a bigger story, this podcast, to talk about those needed radical changes and not just to talk about them, but also to propose them and to embody those changes, to be the change that we want to see, to be radical in the proposals, even if that has the same effect as it had on people 500 years ago and a thousand years ago, even if it means being excommunicated. If excommunication happens, bring it on. So what would it look like to you? Especially to those of you who've told me that you are searching for a spiritual life and a spiritual framework that works, and you're trying to consider it with the background you may have had going to church when you were younger, some Christian background in your heritage, or maybe none of that at all, what would a spiritual life and a spiritual framework that works look like to you? So my friends, it's whiteboard time. Let's draw it up. Why not? If not us, who? Bruce at brucecold.tv. Send me your ideas. Send me your questions. Send me your thoughts because it's 500 years after the last great reformation. So it's reformation time again. 
the 500-year alarm clock's going off, and it's time to wake up, time to write a much, much bigger story. Thanks for listening. Remember, you are loved.